1: If you keep a 30-year mortgage or you refinance into another 30-year loan and you pay extra every month, then you're still paying off the mortgage more quickly. But if you have a financial emergency, let's say an interruption in income or big medical bills, well, then you can stop paying that extra amount every month until your emergency ends. You have that flexibility. dedicated to helping you strengthen
0: your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage Kids and Money podcast everybody. This is Andy Hill and today we're going to do two things. First, we're going to be answering a question about paying extra on your mortgage. And the second question, last but not least, we're going to feature another net worth winner. This month, we have Mike Kenny from Ontario, and he's going to share how he hit a seven-figure net worth in his 30s. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Yolanda via email at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com, and here it is. Last year, I started making additional mortgage payments towards our principal. I'm not sure I'm doing it correctly. I'm making $400 additional principal payments plus full additional mortgage payments when a month has three payment periods instead of two. When I pay extra mortgage payments, which is $2,600 plus $2,600 for principal, the mortgage company took part towards the interest instead of paying 100% toward the principal. It's all confusing to me. Should I pay a lump sum? I am hoping to help my husband retire from his corporate job earlier, so he can finally do what he loves, which is teaching. From Yolanda, Yolanda, thank you so much for reaching out. I appreciate you touching base with this question, and I definitely feel your frustration here. This is a process that should be simple, but unfortunately, it's not. And I know the process that I took to pay off our mortgage early, but I know not all banks and mortgage companies are the same. So I thought I'd bring in an expert to help me out to answer your question. So. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Holden Lewis. Holden is NerdWallet's authority on mortgages and real estate. He's reported about mortgages and housing since 2001, covering mortgage rates, trends in the housing market, and buying and selling strategies. When he's not focused on all things mortgages and real estate, he loves getting outdoors for a good hike. Welcome to the show, Holden. Hey, pleased to join you. Thank you so much for being here. Let's help Yolanda out right away. How can she ensure that these extra payments that she's making are going towards her mortgage principal?
1: You know, this is not as simple as just simply reminding Yolanda to put a note on her check or on the invoice saying, please put this toward principal. And, and the reason is that the, the mortgage company is applying those $400 extra payments correctly. So they know what they're doing. They're following the rules. They are competent. So the problem, as, a, as I see this question, is when she makes those double payments. So got to step back and you say, let me look at this through the eyes of the mortgage company. So let's say it's October 1st and they they get a check from Yolanda and it's for $5200 and you know the regular payment is 2600. So if you're the mortgage company you're saying, "Ah, oh, okay. We don't know what's going to happen a month from now, November 1st when the next payment is due. But what we do know is that if we if she doesn't send a payment, we don't want to be you know, reporting her as having a late payment. We don't want to ding her for late payment fees. So we're going to apply this double payment toward November. And that goes toward principal and interest. And you know what? That is absolutely in good faith. I think that that's really that's how I would do it if I didn't wanna run afoul of trouble from the regulators. So, my suggestion is this. Break up that $2,600 extra into two payments. So, let's let's say it's October. Well, pay your $2,600 plus 2,000 extra. And then in November, take that $600 and add that to the extra that you're paying in November for, you know, that would total 1,000 that way it's just not it's not confusing to the mortgage company and it should be all applied toward principal if if they're you know taking it in the spirit that it's intended and I think that they know how to do that
0: that makes sense. Breaking it up so it doesn't look like the exact payment that she would be making for her mortgage the following month. That does sound like it'd be better for both Yolanda and the company. So I know banks and mortgage companies, they do things differently. Are there different ways that she could go about making the payment? Does sending a check maybe, is that a bit more confusing towards maybe other ways that she could be doing it?
1: You know, I don't really think it matters how she makes that payment. I mean, I'm I'm kind of old, so what I'm used to doing is sending a paper check. But They have systems in place to make sure that those payments are applied as they're supposed to. You know, it doesn't really matter if it's a bank or a mortgage company or whatever. They all follow the same rules as far as how to apply payments.
0: So that's a standard way, as you said, like, hey, if I get another payment that looks exactly like it, the standard response is, hey, I'm going to put this towards the next month because they want to follow the right guidelines.
1: That's right. And, you know, it's it's not only regulations, but it also is the investors who buy mortgage servicing rights and who buy the rights to collect the interest on those payments. It's just a whole lot simpler for the industry if all of that is handled the same way for every company.
0: So let's say she sends that $2,000 check. Should she write maybe on the subject line, this is for principal? Like, how does she clarify that enough? Does she need to call them? Does she need to send a smoke signal? What What is she got to do?
1: <laughs> she definitely should indicate wherever, it, you know, she can do it, that it's, it's supposed to go toward principal. So that might be the memo field on a check, or if she's paying online, there might be a space to put that on the website. That's
0: the indicator right there that it needs to go towards principal, not your regular payments or even for the interest for that matter. So let's talk about somebody who's listening. Maybe Yolanda. She's like, I really want to be mortgage free. How can she determine how much she should be paying towards the mortgage to get to that final destination?
1: All right. First of all, you know, there is the whole question of should she be mortgage-free or, you know, when she should be mortgage-free. But, but okay, so, but, but, you know, to answer that specific question, go to a mortgage calculator, go, you know, search for early mortgage payoff calculator. There's several out there. Nerdwallets Wallets is really good because it allows you to actually say, how many, in how many years do you want to pay this off? And then it will tell you not only how much extra you need to pay every month to pay it off in that certain time frame, but also will kind of give you a little goodie. It'll tell you how much interest you'll save from doing that. And you save a lot of interest by paying down your mortgage early let's talk about your first point. Should she even pay it off? I mean, obviously we don't know a
0: ton about Yolanda's situation. It seems like to her, if I pay off this mortgage, we're going to have less expenses in our lives. And my husband could maybe change careers and and do a position that he'd like. What do you think about that plan?
1: All right. I'm not, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a certified financial professional. So, but I've talked to them about this issue several times and what they say is it's really better to invest the money. Here's the reasoning. Let's say you have a mortgage and the interest rate is three and a quarter percent. When you pay extra on that mortgage, you're essentially, you're making three and a quarter percent on your money by by saving that. So in other words, like, let's say you paid a hundred dollars extra on your mortgage. Well, you're saving $3.25, you know, if that interest rate is three and a quarter. All right. If you invested that hundred dollars, and you got a 5% return, well, you would have $5 at the end of the year. So, most financial planners would tell you, well, it's better to earn the $5 than to save the $3.25. That's kind of a dollar and cent argument, and and I totally get it, but there's also a psychological dimension to this, you know? So, when Yolanda is paying off this mortgage early, when, when she's making these extra payments, she can look online and see that outstanding balance shrinking fast. And, you know, they can say, oh, now we owe only $100,000 more. You know, we, we were making progress. And then a few years later, oh, now we only owe 50000 And then we only owe 20000 And they can start making plans. And it's just, there's just something more psychologically. It's just more satisfying than saying, oh, I'll invest this money every month into a brokerage account, and when the balance on that brokerage account equals the outstanding balance on the mortgage, I'll pay it off in a lump sum. I mean, that's what a lot of financial planners would tell you to do. It's just, I think it might be harder to stick with the plan if you're investing that money instead of paying it off early, at least, I don't know, for people like me
0: know yourself right before you make this decision, if it's one of those things where you're going to be, you know, feeling like you're not able to pay off the mortgage because you're investing this money and you're seeing it grow, but it's taking so long and you don't really understand investing that much. And you really have this destination. I think you just have to know who you are, right? It sounds like that's where you're going. One piece of the puzzle that you mentioned there is is a 3% interest rate. And I know rates are low. I don't know if this is an all time low, uh, but seems like they're crazy low right now. Is this another reason to maybe not pay off your mortgage? that you have such low interest rate opportunities
1: at this time? I think that when you're looking at it from the standpoint of, say, a financial planner, it it might be, you know, they're just saying, hey, you know, you can refinance if you don't already have a rate of like three and a half percent or three percent, you know, refinance and get a rate that low and then, you know, invest that extra money. But, you know, see, there's another psychological twist, which is like, Okay, let's say you invest that money, and you have that big lump sum. You have it there. It's equal to the outstanding mortgage balance. You're going to go, oh, man, uh, do I want to just get rid of all that money? I mean, I don't know. It, it it would be hard to pull the trigger and actually pay off that mortgage. So. there's always that to
0: consider. Yeah, I like that strategy though because it gives you the option, right? You're saying, okay, well, I've got this money invested. I can choose to just keep investing or pay off the mortgage. So you have that option. I really like that solution. I have heard that as an idea. So, you know, let's talk about refinancing. You mentioned that a little bit. We're in August, 2021, as we're recording this. What kind of rates could somebody get right now if they were looking to refinance?
1: Well, the rates are near all-time lows. If you have really good credit, you can get a 30-year mortgage for some, somewhere between 2.75 and 3%, and a 15-year mortgage, it's probably less than three and a quarter percent, maybe around three and a quarter percent. You know, if you have excellent credit, which is just phenomenal, those are just such low rates. They have been lower, but not much lower
0: so somebody might be listening and they've got some high interest credit card debt. Is this another reason to maybe refinance to eliminate that debt? Oh,
1: no. I mean, I I do not like that idea. And I know a lot of people do it. I don't want to be too prescriptive. But look, let's say you have high interest credit card debt and you want to pay it off with a refinance. So the, the way you do that is it's called a cash out refinance which means that you borrow more than you owe on the house. So let's say you owe $200,000 on your mortgage and you have $20,000 in credit card debt. Well, a cash-out refinance, you would refinance for $220,000. So you would get a new mortgage for $200,000, and then you would get $20,000 cash, which you would then pay off the credit card debt, and that sounds great. It's really, I don't like it for two reasons. The first is you're exchanging What's called non secure debt for secured debt. So basically, if you don't pay that credit card, then they can't take anything away from you. But if you pay it off with a mortgage, then if you can't pay that debt, then they can take your house away from you. The second second reason is that you're exchanging kind of shorter-term debt for long-term debt. So let's say you have that high credit card balance, and if you really, really tried hard, you could pay it off in five years. Well, if you pay it off through a cash-out refinance, you're putting yourself on the hook to paying it over 30 years. You're going to have a lower interest rate, but in the long run, you're going to pay more interest if you pay it off in 30 years. So, no, I don't like it. The best thing to do is maybe refinance just to get a lower monthly payment, but not a cash-out refi, and then apply those savings toward really, really hammering down on that high-interest debt and just do all you can to pay off the high-interest debt before, let's say, you start paying extra on the mortgage.
0: Another addition to that is, It doesn't really solve the reason that you're in the problem in the first place. Why are you in high interest credit card debt? Is this a habit? Is this a spending thing? And are you just sort of kicking the can down the road by doing a cash out refi? You know, just adding a problem somewhere else to your point. Absolutely. So I completely agree with you. It makes a lot of sense. So somebody's listening right now. And let's say they want to get rid of this mortgage once and for all. And they're they're with Yolanda. They're like, okay, I want to get this going. What's one piece of advice you could leave with them as they finish this interview to make that happen?
1: All right. So the one piece of advice I have is it's a little bit complex, but when you refinance, you kind of have two choices. You know, you can refinance into another 30-year loan, which is what a lot of people do, or you can refinance into a 15-year loan. So with a 15-year loan, not only you're going to get, well, you're going to get lower monthly payments. You're going to pay off that mortgage faster, which is both are really great. And of course, your monthly mortgage payments are going to go up because, you know, you're shortening, the loan term. But you don't have a whole lot of flexibility and what I mean by that is if if you keep a 30-year mortgage or you refinance into another 30-year loan and you pay extra every month, then you're still paying off the mortgage more quickly, but if you have a financial emergency, let's say an interruption in income or big medical bills, well then you can stop paying that extra amount every month until your emergency ends. You just you have that flexibility. If you keep a 30 year loan and you just pay extra versus refinancing into a 15 year loan and really being locked into those higher monthly payments and not being able to pay less during financial emergencies.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Having some flexibility, some options. I like where Holden's going with a lot of this piece of advice, giving yourself some options, not tying yourself into something and tying yourself into a choice and being able to know that, hey, change happens. Change is okay. You know, something I planned five, seven years ago, maybe I'm not feeling the same way five, seven years later. So keeping your options open and, you know, helping you get to where you want to go. So Holden, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to go?
1: Follow me on Twitter at Holden L, and my DMs are open. Excellent, excellent. And then we know NerdWallet is a fantastic
0: resource for a lot of these calculators we talked about. If they want to access one of those calculators, just go to nerdwallet.com. Is that the best place to go?
1: That's right. And you know, if there's a certain calculator you're looking for, like how much am I going to be able to borrow or how fast can I pay pay it off with extra payments, just you know, Google those phrases and you'll see NerdWallet near the top of the results. That's going to be a good calculator.
0: Excellent. Yeah, NerdWallet is an excellent source. Definitely something I'm sourcing a lot in my articles that I write. So, thank you so much Holden. I really appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you. We'll be back to the show after a quick word from our sponsors. per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Telo plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Telo, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up, the code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Telo. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. I love talking about increasing your net worth. This is our barometer for wealth building success. Today, we're going to speak with a husband and a father who achieved a million dollar net worth at 33 years old. Mike Kenny is our guest today. Mike lives with his wife and little girl in Ottawa, Ontario, and they love the outdoors, especially hiking and visiting parks. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about your success here. When did you start paying attention to your finances that helped
2: you get to where you are today? I would say probably in university. And then more specifically, probably when I finished my undergrad degree, I moved out from my parents' place for the first time and went to another city to get my teaching degree. That was the first time where, you know, expenses were higher or more realistic, I suppose, as an adult and paying more attention to spending and sort of the costs of, of life. And so I'd say probably at that point, so I would have been maybe 22, 23 at the time, just really starting to kind of yeah, pay attention to those things.
0: That's incredible. So 22, 23, did you find some sort of inspiration, some book, uh, you know, did a parent get under your ear? Like what was it that said, Hey, I'm going to start paying
2: attention to this stuff. I'm a little bit fortunate in that my wiring is such that I I've always sort of had an idea around money and the value of it and that we should sort of be stewards of it. And so I think that just comes naturally. I don't know if maybe the genetics perhaps, but I, I don't something sort of inside of me that sort of keeps track of those things. But yeah, I didn't do anything necessarily reading. My parents didn't necessarily sort of like instill that stuff proactively into us. I think it was just sort of like I'm on my own and there's no sort of Fallback or backdrop here. I'm going to have to sort of figure things out, and so maybe a little bit of reading here and there, but mostly just yeah, paying attention to to where I was spending and why I was spending. I guess.
0: Well, you mentioned teaching, so can you tell us what you do for a living or what you have done for a living over this decade, and then maybe what your wife does as well for income?
2: So I'm a high school teacher in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and my wife is a is a nurse. She's a part time nurse now. I also run my own business, and we have one rental property that also generates some income for us.
0: Excellent, excellent. So that's a great breakdown. So between your business, a rental property, your income, and your wife's income, you guys have a good amount coming in. And so can you talk a little bit about your net worth? How does that break down? What does that consist of?
2: Pretty much 75% real estate, and then between the two properties, like our primary residence and our rental, and then 25% stocks and cash.
0: Got it. Okay, great. So... When did you guys get into the rental property? That sounds really interesting. Was that like your first home and then it turned into a rental property? How did that all work?
2: Yeah, so I I bought that pretty well right out of finishing my teaching degree. I came back from Toronto where I was doing my teaching degree. I moved back in with my parents for a short period of time and was sort of like, all right, I have a little bit of money here. I don't really want to be living at home much longer. What do I do with this? And so I, uh, yeah, I bought a, a new build. Townhome about sort of 15, 20 minutes west of where my parents were living at the time. Yeah, so I, I moved in. I got a couple of roommates to help pay the mortgage. It worked out really well. And then I had a couple of friends that were just sort of wanting to move out on their own, but didn't necessarily want to be spending the amount of money required for, you know, a one bedroom or two bedroom closer to downtown type of thing. So gave me some company and also helped pay down the mortgage. Cause at that time I didn't have a permanent teaching job. I was just trying to break into the profession. So my income was very hit or miss from month to month. So looking back, it was actually probably fairly risky in terms of taking on some, some debt there and, and not necessarily having consistent flow of income, but I was able to make it work with some, some odd jobs and I just started my business then as well. So that helped create a bit of a buffer and a little bit more seasonal income anyway, coming in. And yeah. And then I eventually I moved out, I found someone to fill my room. So I was renting essentially three rooms at that time, became a bit of a headache. So then eventually we sort of dissolved that and then found a a young couple to, to move in and rent from us. And it's been smooth sailing, knock on wood ever since. It's been over four years that this couple's been there and yeah, they're, they're great tenants and we don't hear much from them. So it's, it's the best kind of, of income.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Money that comes in consistently and not a lot of bother to take care of it. That's great. So talk about the the stock side of things. You said 25% stocks, cash, things like that. So what have you done to invest for your future that sort of kept things simple for you?
2: Yeah. So I only really started looking at stock market investing maybe three years ago and uh, have a teaching friend who's 10 or 12 years older than I am and has been very into it himself. And he actually just retired early from, from teaching. And so he'll sort of reinvent himself a little bit. He's got two kids and spent some more time with them. Anyways, all that to say is he's sort of showed me the ropes in terms of that side of things. So nothing overly complicated at this point. I'm still trying to learn and I'm, you know, not necessarily fully confident, particularly in the market we're in right now to, to dump it all in, in there. But yeah, just the mix of broader market, you know, ETF style investing. And then a few sort of stock picks here and there. So I had a friend that's in the advising world and he kind of calls that core and explore. So kind of have some core holdings, a few just sort of one offs to, yeah. Cause I'm interested in it and like doing a little bit of research and then, uh, yeah. And then the cash is just sort of on the side with, yeah, no huge plans for it yet, but we'll kind of see what, what works.
0: I like that term core and explore. That's a good way to look at it too, because the explore part could be a lot of fun and also volatile, but can be worth it if you have some money dedicated in there. So based on your story that I'm hearing from like early twenties to now in your early thirties, I do not hear much about a windfall or an inheritance that helped contribute to this millionaire
2: success. Is that true? No inheritances or, or windfalls. I mean, I think a lot of luck, I mean, especially here, in Canada, in particular, the city we live in, there's just been a huge increase in property values. So that's basically been the, the single biggest factor, especially recently, that's kind of pushed our net worth to that range. Anyway, just with those two properties increasing in value.
0: I've heard from some folks that Toronto, where you originally were the Toronto area is likening to like New York City, where it's just like crazy prices is Ottawa the same way.
2: Yeah. So Ottawa definitely has not been like Toronto. We're about four and a half hour drive away from, from Toronto. And yeah, we've always trailed their increases, but I would say the last maybe 18 months we've kept pace relative to, you know, they're already sort of like, you know, that much higher than us for a comparable property. But many people considered Ottawa to be undervalued for a long time. So when they were seeing huge increases, we weren't seeing those, but the last 18 months we, we had. So I, I would say probably depending on the neighborhood, if you added sort of 25, 30% to a comparable property. Yeah.
0: I talked to a young Canadian couple a couple of years ago that was so frustrated with the real estate market. They just said, you know what, forget it. We're just going to dump all our money into the stock market and then just rent or live wherever we want to live. Did you ever find yourself frustrated with the real estate market when you were trying to get your second home where you're just like, man, this is insane?
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting because I think we were fortunate again, timing wise, like I, we bought at a time when you could actually go look at a house, think about it, and put an offer in, so that was back in 2016. We bought our primary residence, and we actually just recently moved. So that one, we put a basement apartment in it, and so we had actually, I guess, a second flow of rental income for a while when it was just my wife and I. Yeah, this property that we're in now just sort of came up, same neighborhood, just bigger home, bigger lot, and because the other one had decreased so much in value, we we decided we would sort of upgrade, but yeah, to to answer your question, we were fortunate in that we didn't really have to navigate the the current situation, just given that basically our most recent move, we're just trading up and using the equity from our old place. So we don't, because we're already in the market, whereas my brother and sister-in-law are, are looking and like, I don't even know how to advise because it's a different time than when we got in. And so it's, I, I can totally empathize with that, that sentiment. I, if we were trying to get in now, it would be a different conversation. It would probably be, can we find a good place to rent? And then, you know, do the ETF route maybe if there's a downturn or then relocate somewhere potentially where housing isn't quite as expensive, but.
0: Well, I like what you guys have done. You've gotten a nice rental property, a good flow of income there, and you also have a great place to live for your young family as it grows. Let's talk about any tools or anything that have helped you along the way. Do you have any sort of fintech tools that you like to use that help you keep track of things, or are you a pen and paper kind of guy? What what do you like to do?
2: I'd say I'm, I'm old school. We tried Mint for a time just to sort of track the coming and going. I felt we needed to sort of keep up with it pretty proactively and it just wasn't something that we we kind of kept up with so yeah i would say we're kind of just basic you know excel spreadsheet kind of thing for a budget and then every several months we'll kind of look at our credit card statements and sort of make sure that we are sort of keeping in track with with what we budgeted for and same thing with sort of net worth tracking just a basic spreadsheet so
0: any other financial hacks that you're thinking of like hey this was really helpful for me as i did all my journey here or anything else that pops up like that
2: yeah, not really. I mean, that the sort of house hacking that that I was able to do. Yeah, it, it seemed to it seemed to work, right? I mean, it's easy to say that hindsight's always twenty twenty. It would be a much again because of the increase in property values here. That would be a harder thing to pull off these days. But it worked out in our situation, and just because of you know you're using leverage which as i'm sure you know leverage can go both ways but it, that's been probably the single biggest factor is doing the house hacking thing and then experiencing the kind of ride upwards in the in the property values I
0: did this similar thing to you. I bought my house right out of college. And I think before the term was around house hacking, that's what I was doing. I find some dudes off of Craigslist and make some new friends and then have them help you pay down the house. So it worked out well for me too over the long term. Let's talk about what your dreams and goals are now. You guys have hit a million dollar net worth as a family in your young thirties. What goals and dreams do you have now as you look forward, call it the next five to 10 years?
2: Yeah, it's funny because I was thinking about this question prior to, to hopping on here and I can't say that we have a specific goal or set of goals in mind. I think one sort of small thing that's always been in the back of my mind and something my wife and I have spoken about is just being in a place where she doesn't have to work, at least work for income. That's something that I think we're we're almost at kind of thing with our, our ins and outs and yeah, something that maybe, you know, when the kids are growing, she wants to, to move back to, to a place where she, she wants to work for pay more often, but just something where it gives us the flexibility, whether we actually, you know, do that full on or not. So I would say that's kind of a tangible goal we'd have in mind. Yeah. I think just using money as a tool would be a, would be our sort of guiding star. So just, we've been fortunate and Yeah. are in in a pretty comfortable place. And so I think the the last thing we should probably be doing is trying to continue to accumulate and accumulate and losing sight of sort of what we do have and, and how we can use that because ultimately you can't take it with you. And yeah, something that we, we want to think about is just being intentional about how we spend money for ourselves, but then how we, how we give and help other people out too, I guess.
0: I love that. Well, you're given today too by sharing your story and motivating others. So, if somebody's listening right now and they want to become a millionaire like you, what would be one piece of advice that you'd give them to get started?
2: Don't focus on a number. So I, I know it's you know you look at smart goals and they say you know be specific with where you're trying to reach. I think with something like finances, first of all, everyone's situation is different. The city you live in is different. The cost of living, all those things are are dynamic, right? So I, I don't think it's fair to or or necessarily helpful to put a number on it. I would say that, you know, just start off by being intentional and, and how you would do that. In my opinion would be anytime you're going to spend money, obviously, if you want to create some sort of threshold or if it's over a hundred dollars or over $200, like, is this going to add value to my life? I think that would be something that would be helpful for anybody regardless of where you're at, but certainly starting out, I think oftentimes people that's, maybe aren't where they want to be financially or aren't sure where to start or what to do. It usually has to do with spending and then sort of just inconsistent or misguided spending. And so I think, yeah, asking, asking that question of yourself, will this purchase, regardless, whether it's service uh, product, is it going to add value to my life and beyond just the initial dopamine hit of, Oh, look at this Amazon package that showed up. But like truly, is it going to, to make our lives better? I mean, some sort of tangible way. And if you're, really, really struggling to come up with a, a meaningful answer, you might want to revisit whether that's something that you should be sort of buying or not. So I, I would say, yeah, use that as your starting point, because I think it's easier to control spending initially anyway than it is to control income. So if you can kind of manage the the spending side, that's helpful to kind of get you going.
0: I think that's a great basis for consideration for anything really in life, whether it's a commitment or a purchase, take that, whatever, call it five minutes or, or sit on it overnight, leave it in the Amazon cart for the night and then decide tomorrow. Do you still need that or want that as much as you can? Because everything that we say yes to, we're saying no to other things as well. So I think that's a great point. So tell us a little bit about your business because I think that's super interesting. I took a look at the website and maybe if people want to contact you, they can do it through that route as well.
2: Yeah. So it's right way basketball is is the name of the business. So started out as just kind of a seasonal kind of Christmas break, March break, a little bit of stuff in the summer for youth to to learn how to play basketball or to refine their skills. And then it's kind of branched off into um you know training coaches to partnerships with kind of local basketball clubs where we'll sort of take on certain things for them or, or run some some coach training or coach clinics for them. Yeah. So it's it's been a, a fun outlet for me just sort of having a background in, in basketball and also sort of the teaching side. So it's kind of the, the best of both of those worlds. And then, so yeah, to be able to you know have a business out of it that, that creates a bit of income is, is also helpful. So I would say like I've started using my personal Twitter more often. So I, I would say that's probably the best place for, for people, if they want to contact me, I'm sort of an infrequent tweeter, but I think my, my private messages are open. So if someone wanted to send a message through there, so I'm Mike underscore Kenny three, on Twitter. So if they want to check me
0: out there. Excellent. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Not only are you giving back and teaching with your small business and your full-time job, but you're doing it today too. I really appreciate you giving back and helping people get to the next level. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabit for editing our show today and to Alec Collins and Dan Hines for putting together some of our YouTube videos. You can check us out over there at youtube.com slash marriage, kids and money getting close to 3,500 subscribers. Would love to see you over there. Hit the red subscribe button and help your buddy Andy grow this little small business. Before we go for the day, I want to encourage you to also join our Thriving Families Facebook community. This is a free group with over 1,100 families looking to build wealth and give their brood a better tomorrow today. So each week in that group, we share our wins. This is a great way for us to kind of reflect on the good things that are happening in our lives and maybe encourage others to have some success too. So here's some fun that we heard from our friend and longtime group member, Crystal Lee. Here's what she said. We had plenty in our HSA, which is a health savings account, everybody, to cover an emergency dental procedure this week grateful we saved up i hear that i just love our hsa as well don't you just love when planning just pays off crystal lee I, <laughs> and the hsa is a fantastic way to do that you set aside some money each month you can either save it or invest it depending on your account and that money is there for those unexpected healthcare costs so congratulations for being prepared, Crystal Lee. That's got to feel good. Way to go. Can I get a round of applause for our friend, Crystal Lee? All right. Congratulations. Very cool. If you want to share your wins or get inspired by others who are building wealth and protecting their families like this situation, please join us at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. Again, it's a free Facebook group. We hope to see you there in the spirit of growth and inspiration i'm going to end the show with a quote today from barbara cochran a funny thing happens in real estate when it comes back it comes back up like gangbusters buying and holding real estate pays my friends carpe diem